0: Rivalry schemes here involving coaches at some of the nation's best-known universities, student athletes, agents, financial advisors, and Adidas.
1: In one scheme, prosecutors say that a top Adidas executive arranged prize to get a star Just to like a- a-
0: It's being called one of the biggest college sports recruiting scandals in history. And we're still learning details. It's at the beginning of the investigation. But we wanted to ask the question, what does it mean for recruiting? What does it mean for the future of the NCAA? And what does it mean for you and your program? Even if you're not a college basketball coach, we bring in an expert, one of the best writers and journalists in college athletics. We talk to him about this unfolding scandal on today's edition of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.
1: It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, elderly internet scam victim and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor.
0: What the song is asking, and I think we have part of the answer when it comes to coaches, the FBI, and college athletics. The FBI is not getting fooled, apparently. Uh, This is a huge, huge recruiting story. Uh, Many would say it's a recruiting scandal, and that's why we wanted to talk about it. We're not in the news business, and I'm certainly not here to offer opinions in the same way that you'd hear on ESPN. Or, or any other outlet that you rely on your news from. That's not my role. That's not what we're all about here. But when a story like this hits, it really does affect everybody. There is a ripple effect that goes through college athletics when a scandal this big is unfolding. And of course, we're talking about the four coaches uh, and the shoe company officials indicted by the FBI uh, involving uh, payments made to student athletes still in high school by the shoe company to make sure that they would go to the colleges that um, that they were tied to and the, the coaches that were involved in making sure those things happened. And whenever you get into a topic like this, and it seems like in, in college athletics, it crops up about every five to eight years, there is something that happens with a program that uh, that, you know, of course brings a shadow down on that program. But in this case, and I think what makes this different, and for me, what impacts me personally as I look at the landscape, is that this isn't just one program. This is something within the system that uh, that a company apparently was able to exploit, that coaches participated in across programs. and and one of the one of the other <laughs> quotes that I read, that, as I've been following this uh, this unfolding story, was a, a Division One men's coach that apparently told another men's coach in the Pac-12 that uh, if you aren't cheating, then you're cheating yourself, in, insinuating that this is the way that it's done and this is how great programs are built. Now, do I believe that every great program is built on cheating? Absolutely not. There are there are far more good coaches. Ethical coaches, professional coaches, than the bad ones. But when you get into this type of systemic uh, infection, where coaches across conferences, across school campuses uh, were participating in this, it it really does dis- uh, distinguish itself, and it it makes such a difference in in when looking back at, for instance. You know, death penalty cases with programs in the past and and what they did to deserve those. I mean, we're talking about some major, major repercussions that I feel are coming down the line. And the first thing that that I'll express to you is sadness. I hate it when there are negative stories about college athletics because, folks, if you're listening to this, more than likely you're involved in college athletics. You're either a coach, uh, you are an administrator, and... And you know that when things like this happen, it only furthers the narrative that college athletics is corrupt, college athletics isn't needed, uh, we should do away with college athletics on campuses. Now, that's an extreme view, in my opinion, but that's what it furthers. It furthers this story that there is corruption throughout the NCAA. There is corruption throughout college athletics, and you and I know that's not the case. But here we are faced with this story, and so it is going to be impactful. This is just the beginning. We're recording this podcast very early in October of 2017. I don't know when you're listening to it, and there will certainly be other details to this story that that come out way beyond what we're going to talk about today because we're at the front end of this story, But I felt it was important enough to bring in an expert, Uh, since we don't do opinion and we're not covering it in the way that a, a journalist would, I wanted to bring somebody in to talk about it briefly, just to give you as a coach some insight on what some of the impact points could be for you and what it's going to mean for college athletics in the long term. And our guest today is Dan Wolken of the USA Today. He is, again, I'll just offer a Another opinion. He is, I think, probably the best college sports writer in the country. Um, young guy, energetic, really intelligent, asks great question, offers opinion at the right time, offers fantastic coverage. Uh, and I just love reading his stuff. Always have. And uh, he has been kind enough to uh, kind of be a friend to our company. Uh, he's been one of the speakers in the past at the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference. And uh, he decided or he agreed to join me uh, for a brief conversation uh, as this was all unfolding. Because, again, I want to go to somebody who is in-depth, who is having conversations daily at this level with with coaches and and covering it. And by far more than we do, has his ear closer to the ground when it comes to what the next thing is going to be. So as we get into this conversation... Uh, I, I, I'll, you know, in 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 sort of laying this out in in for Dan uh, that we're going to be speaking with, uh, it's I asked him some questions that were probably tough for him to answer, not because he didn't know how to answer them, but because we're so early in this investigation that uh, it would have been uh, conjecture on his part, and so you'll hear times where he just really can't answer the question because we just don't know where it's all unfolding. So uh, but there's other great insights that he offers and I just I wanted to bring him on and then afterwards I would love to uh, talk about a little bit about what he said and then offer up some some general ideas about how this could affect you regardless of the sport you coach regardless of the division level you coach in what it's going to mean for college recruiting college athletics uh, and really how does this change the future of the sport because I think this is one of those things that we're going to look back on and say, I remember when that scandal broke, and it has the potential to change a lot of things. Will they be for the better or for the worse? That's the part we don't know yet, but I wanted to get uh, some ideas out there that, that just to have you start thinking about. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're already one of the people in college athletics that I feel takes their job seriously beyond the X's and O's uh, of, of what your job requires. This is This is going into, in the same way that we go into recruiting uh, technique and that communication detail, this goes into what do I need to know about the profession that I've chosen to make my career. So I'll offer those thoughts after we hear from Dan, but right now uh, we'll start the conversation with Dan Walken from the USA Today, and the the simple question that we started with was uh, just how big is this scandal that we're seeing unfold?
2: Well, I don't think anybody really knows how big it's going to get because we still don't know where all the indictments are going to lead. Obviously, the FBI has arrested 10 people, and I think they're going to try to get some information and try to see how wide of a net they can cast. I don't know exactly what their ultimate target is or what they're trying to accomplish, but they've sent the message out there through what they said and through the people they arrested that, uh, you should come forward, and you should not wait for us to call you. And I think the implication there is that they've arrested people who will possess significant information about the shoe industry, about the college basketball recruiting complex, and that they're going to try to break this thing wide open. And uh, I don't know where that's going to lead, but I think you know you could be looking at touching dozens of people schools coaches uh you know i just think it's sort of hard to get our arms around at this point what exactly it's all going to lead up to right
0: and and in making the comment you you don't know where it's going to go i think what makes this this scandal this story different than others is that you don't have a school self-reporting you don't have a local um you know uh you know, a, a local network station that broke the story after somebody they interviewed came forward. Uh, it's not the, even the NCAA. This is the FBI. And you, know, you mentioned, made the comment, you don't know where it's going to go. Fortunately, I don't have a lot of experience with the FBI, but just as a casual observer, it tends to be that they start with one area and the tentacles kind of grow and they don't stop until they feel like they should stop. And, and that's why... Uh, you know i think a lot of people are wondering just how deep it's going to go and how many programs it's going to touch
2: well i think already you've seen based on the initial uh, consequences for louisville uh, for potentially arizona where you know book richardson had been with sean miller for many years right so you know i think there's a lot of nervous people because this is just one of those situations that you don't know what you don't No. And, you know, I think that when you talk about an NCAA investigation and that's sort of the world these people are used to dealing with, you know, it's it's always hard to to prove something, you know, to, to give to give proof of wrongdoing or, you know, say payments or whatever. But when the FBI is listening to phone conversations, well, that's a different animal because that's not something the ncaa has the ability to do is tap a phone so you know what did you say when you were talking to somebody those are the kinds of things that i think a lot of people would would have concerns about at this point
0: right you know when when you talk about you know how how far it could go i was reading a quote from uh larry kriskoviak the university of utah men's coach and in a story that I was reading, he said that a fellow coach came up to him during the summer or made the comment to him in the summer that if you're not cheating, you're cheating yourself. And when you have – I hear that, and, of course, you and I, we both hear things just associated with college athletics, and it seems to me that the coaches know what are going, what, what's going on or what has been going on. Um, which means, to some extent, the athletic director has some sort of knowledge of what's going on. Uh, even if they're not directly involved with it, they know what goes on behind the scenes, which means I've, I've got to think the NCAA does. And I'm just wondering, why did it take, and this is, of course, just your opinion, why did it take the FBI coming in and, and indicting coaches and now the investigation begins to kind of have this out in public and have a discussion that's really up to this point been going on behind the scenes?
2: Well, look, the the NCAA has got very limited powers to to investigate issues, and I, I've been around a lot of those people over the years who work in enforcement, and I think they have a sense, just like all of us do, about what goes on behind the scenes and how a lot of these deals get done. But you know, to have proof, to have documentation, especially when you don't have subpoena power, and people who don't work for schools, they. Don't have to talk to the NCAA or cooperate in investigations. Uh, you know the the sort of um, you know investigative tactics that the FBI would use. These aren't the kind of things that the NCAA can really engage in. So it's not that the NCAA didn't know or didn't want to know. I mean, I think the the people who work in that enforcement division, you know, that that's that kind of case is potentially career making for them. Right. But it's really that's hard to point. do. It's really right. hard to do. So, uh, I, you know, the the NCAA investigative process is really more of a bureaucratic process in some ways. It's a lot of trying to piece things together based on interviews and documents and uh, publicly available things and the cooperation of, of people who work for, for schools. They get a lot of information. I just think turning that into charges like right. what you saw with uh, – with the FBI, I mean it's just apples and oranges. So very hard to compare, you know, the two types of investigations.
0: Sure, sure. Great point. And you know, and again, going back to the idea that we don't know where this is gonna go, you're a reporter and a lot of people around the country uh, look to you for insights, not only commentary, but just the, the hard reporting. What what are the questions that you are asking yourself or what what is just sort of in the next phase of this and true we don't know where it's going to go but what are the questions that you have that you'll be asking over the next couple of weeks as this unfolds
2: well I think you're looking at a lot of these schools that potentially have a problem with players potentially being ineligible I mean Mm -hmm. Arizona are they gonna have they're the number one team in the country preseason in a lot of polls are they gonna have Everybody uh, eligible this year, you know. Auburn, uh, Bruce Pearl's already been in trouble with the NCAA, so now he's got uh, this thing to deal with. Will he survive? Will that? Will the athletic director at Auburn survive? That's some of the I think simmering issue out there right now. Um, you know, I think just how many more programs does this ensnare in some way? I, I'm going to be watching that right. heavily. So. You know, there, all those things, I think, are are sort of just key, you know, process questions as we come up on the start of the college basketball season. I mean, it's going to shake a lot of uh, teams, teams that w- we all know, coaches we all know. Right. You know, and then the other thing is, as you get closer to signing day, you know, does it change the way coaches recruit? Are they more careful? Are they more uh, cautious about, you know, engaging in behavior that might be against NCAA rules because they don't know who's monitoring them. I think that that's going to be something that really shakes uh, shakes out in, in the recruiting process.
0: Well, good, great point. And on the flip side of that, is it going to affect the rec- the decision that the recruits make ultimately and where they officially sign, <laughs> knowing, you know, which programs are in trouble or which coach in which program came to me and offered something similar? And what if that program gets caught? And so those are, yeah, those are some... Some ripple effects that uh, that that certainly we have to watch for. What about? I mean, do do you feel like this is self contained within just men's basketball? Is this sort of a men's basketball phenomenon with the tie with the shoe companies, or as we get into women's basketball, college football, some of the other you know what are you know money sports? um, Is that? Do you have any sense of it potentially leaking into those other arenas?
2: What's hard to say. It certainly could, uh, you know. All of the major sports have their own sort of underground economy that Im- influences the recruiting process. I think where basketball is a little different is that it's so heavily tied into the sneaker companies. Right. Uh, the sneaker companies run summer basketball in 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 ways that I think people, you know, kind of they know about and they they've heard about, but uh the the complexity of sort of of how the money flows from the shoe companies to these travel grassroots teams uh and then maybe as a conduit to uh, college programs is uh unique. It, football doesn't really have that same kind of system. So right. even though there are certainly things that go on in in college football that uh, are against the rules and that you would look at as uh uh, you know, similar types of, of behavior. Uh, I think it's a little bit different just in terms of the execution. And I, you know, I don't know if this investigation will bleed over into into football, but uh, that's that's a question that's being asked a lot.
0: Right. Well, just and again, more more of an opinion because you've you've talked to a lot of coaches and you've been uh, observing this now for a while. What is it about coaches? Not certainly. We're not talking about all coaches. We're talking about very, hopefully, a very small percentage. But what is it about some coaches that make them feel like they can get away with this? In this age where everything is, uh, you know, is interconnected and people talk, and there's so many venues and mediums in which they can talk, that you know, to think that this wouldn't eventually come to um, light—it just—it is surprising to me.
2: Well, I think that it's not as much about whether they. Don't believe they'll get caught. I think the odds are against them getting caught. I mean, just look at the NCAA and uh, how difficult it is to to for them to to do a, a big investigation like that. But also, right. look. I mean, the amount of money at stake for a coach. Uh, you know, I I always say in college football, if you become a head coach and you are at the Power Five level and get a five year contract. These days, that amount of money basically sets you up for life. Uh, one five-year contract at the Power Five level is, you know, it's going to be 15 million dollars, basically. So, um, so I think that the incentive for coaches to win at the lower levels or to be considered great, quote unquote, recruiters, that pressure is tied directly to the amount. of, of fortune that's available if they rise to the top of their profession so i think the incentive uh structure is such that that the the potential reward still far outweighs the risk right
0: right so let's go bigger picture let's just say this investigation goes out uh, or plays out and let's say it's just contained within the schools we're talking about now or maybe it goes a little bit deeper whatever the point when it's all done the question is going to be asked. Okay, how do we prevent this from happening again? And I guess what I'm wondering is, what is the fix? Because you rightly point out that you're talking about an industry, the shoe company, that is so involved with uh, with summer basketball, the AEU, the the tournaments, and everything that go uh, that, that take place. That's such a recruiting hotbed for for coaches. I just, I'm just wondering, what would you envision? being a reasonable fix to ensure that something like that doesn't happen again and that also prevents it from happening or starting within another sport
2: well that's a really hard thing to come to terms with because part of i think the issue in any way you want to set up college sports is that there's always going to be people who have value beyond what the colleges are going to give them, and so you're always right. going to have uh, people who will have money available to them, just because they're – whether it's their talent or whatever, uh, is such that that they can significantly impact winning at a program. And so, I just don't know how you solve that. I think it's a it's a difficult question. I think you know part of it is fear, you know, and that's what the NCAA tries to do is make the penalties if you get caught so severe that that you feel that it's not worth the risk. But also, I think you, you do have to have some, uh, some in intervention by the NCAA and maybe by the NBA in terms of summer basketball. I mean, letting the shoe companies run it for all these years and uh, kind of... Uh, have full autonomy over, over summer yeah, I mean, basketball, they set
0: the foundation, really. You're right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's,
2: foundation. sure. It's, it's a, it's a hard, uh, it's a hard thing for colleges and, and even the NBA to, um, to say no because they get so much money from these shoe companies. But I do think that, that it's, it's been a, a developmental system that has not really served people all that well.
0: Right. Okay, two more quick questions, Dan. The I guess the first one would be uh, on the athletic director side. Uh, let, let's just say there is no big fix. There's no institutional fix that's that's hard to come up with because of all the complexities. Would you envision that both conferences or athletic directors, you know, set individual rules for what happens? And uh, I, I just I I just don't envision. S- A scenario where this happens and programs are uh are tarnished and punished and then nothing nothing being put forward to change it so i guess i'm i guess i'm just sort of scrambling or trying to figure out what would be the real change uh, if it's not going to come uh from an ncaa level if it was you know athletic directors making sure that this doesn't happen to their coach
2: well i think everyone right now is just trying to see how this is all going to play out I, i I think that there will be people who are more motivated to uh, try and and maybe find better ways to do certain things, but it's still going to be a long process, I think, to get to the end of this case and to figure out what the ultimate impact is going to be. But there's no question that this will shake some people up, and they're going to have to put their heads together and you know work with the NCAA and potentially work with uh, the NBA and, and you know, maybe even NFL. I mean, is, is it time now to start thinking about uh, agents and uh, that kind of thing? Um, you know, players in college, if they, if they're able to just sort of do these representation deals uh, upfront and honestly and openly, maybe that eliminates some of the, some of the shadiness. Um, maybe uh, name, image, and likeness, that debate, which is Certainly been there for for years, maybe that is part of the equation as well what what right. can they do to further you know make those rules more modern? so you know I think a lot of those things will get talked about, but is is there going to be just this sort of fundamental sea change? I think it's a it's a longer process than just snapping your fingers in reaction to something like this and saying, well, we're gonna blow everything up
0: right. So last question you actually touched on it just in that response and and your insights there. When you talk about you know flipping this around and and from the player perspective, obviously a lot of these players are, and families are coming from socioeconomic uh, environments that you know we talk about the risk reward for a coach. There's the risk reward for that family as well, and uh, that you know hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know what that means to the family. You know, let's roll the dice and and and, and take that risk. I guess I'm just wondering if, in again, you touched on it, does it play into the idea that that changes need to be made, uh, recognizing that these players, and certainly at, at the highest levels, are future NBA stars, and they are uh, there is intrinsic value in their likeness, in the jerseys that get sold, and and everything uh, that I guess is it is it more of a uh, an impetus to to say we need to change things about how we treat the student-athlete and, and you know, whether it's paying them or allowing them to have agents or you're basically getting it out of a, a prohibition-style operation where you have things going on behind the scenes that aren't regulated and bringing it out uh, into the light. I guess my question is, does it make more of a case for the people that would argue for that uh, that line of thinking?
2: Well, I would say that it does, but again, I mean, how much change can the system Take and and you know how hard is it to do? You have to understand. I mean, college presidents uh, run the NCAA. They're the ones who make these decisions. And uh, to get people on the same page on anything is is, is just hard. So um, you know, I'd like to see people think big and think about you know some some more bold uh, changes. But uh, it's it's not easy, especially when the current system you know has been very good to all these schools. And, you know, even if they have to endure some embarrassment from time to time, and we've certainly seen our share of that, uh, they're still making a lot of money.
0: And we thank Dan Walken from the USA Today for those comments and just for taking some time to give us his thoughts. You can follow Dan on Twitter, at DanWolkin, Walken, D-A-N-W-O-L-K-E-N. Again, fantastic reporting. Uh, many of you I know are familiar with him already based on his, uh, his writing, specifically with football and basketball. Uh, just a really knowledgeable person and somebody that I respect in the industry and very thankful that he took the time to, to talk about that. So for you as a coach, and again, taking yourself outside of just Division One men's basketball coaching, although you could be listening to uh, this as a D1 men's coach, I wanted to give you some ideas and thoughts about the longer-term meaning of what all this uh, could be for for you and for your career and for the future of college athletics. And again, I'm I'm gonna maybe uh, go where where Dan Wolken couldn't go just in his in his job as a journalist and and offer some of some ideas on on how this could affect college athletics. First of all, I think it really will call into question. What the NCAA's role is, and I I say that for this reason, there have been so many uh, articles and arguments being made over the last year or two about, really revolving around the question, is the NCAA necessary? Is it an obsolete organization? For many different reasons, not just from an enforcement standpoint like this, but for many different reasons, people are just saying, do we need the NCAA anymore? And I don't think this does anything to, to, to quell those, those questions. I think in many ways that it, it actually accentuates it. Because if this was going on, and it, let's assume that it has gone on for several years, what, where, where has the enforcement been and why has nobody stopped it before now? And and why did it take the FBI getting into it? Now, rightfully so. the The counter argument to that is, well, the NCAA is not in the business of policing with their own internal investigations on a proactive basis. Uh, you know, when it comes to outside companies and the and the money. Um, but if we've reached that level in college athletics where that kind of oversight is needed, then what what is the NCAA's purpose? And uh, look, I, I, more than anybody, respect the NCAA. I want them to have a purpose. I want there to be a uh, an association-type governing body made up of people in the college athletic world that make these decisions. But when you have a scandal like this break out, it just calls that into question. And again, it's one of the things I hate about this type of news is that it it kind of kicks at the uh, the... The existing structure, and that's something that, though, is going to probably get a closer look as, as time goes on. That's just one of, you know, the, one of the things that I feel. The second thing is, let me bring it back to you as a coach. So often we hear kids in our focus groups that that we're, we're helping our clients or we're preparing for an on-campus workshop that we're doing with an athletic department. We'll talk to athletes, and we'll talk to the athletes from that school. We'll talk to athletes nationally and also the parents. And over the last couple of years, one of the big trends that we've seen in terms of what is on the mind of athletes and parents is, can we trust the coach that we're talking to? Can we trust the college to deliver on what they're saying they're going to deliver? Can we trust that the coach is going to be there after two years? Uh, All these issues around trust, and that's the word that they use. And I think what's happened is over the last decade or so, with just all of the information that's available to parents and athletes, and they hear all the stories about kids that were tricked or lied to or uh, things that were promised and then never delivered on, there is this growing distrust of college coaches, which again, one of the things I hate because 99% of you are, are great people who love their job and are great uh, molders of young men and women that, that head out into the future. And this type of thing really kicks at your reputation, and that just ticks me off. Um, but, but when it comes to trust, I think this is going to do further harm to the idea that people can trust their coaches. I would not be surprised for parents to assume across sports that uh, there is some sort of secret pile of money somewhere that they can get access to if only they're good enough, or if they ask you in the right way, or or something. And I, I and I say that because I've heard parents talk about it, and I've heard coaches talk about parents and kids coming to them, you know, wanting more money and wink, wink. There must be more somewhere, coach. And this is not just at the Division One level; it's at Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, even junior colleges and so when, I, when it's out there and then something like this comes along, I think it only further promotes the idea that, you know what, uh, maybe you can't trust the coach and maybe you should question the coach more, which when it gets into what we're really all about, which is making recruiting more simplified, more effective and easier for you, it takes away from that. And that's one of the things I think that as coaches, you're going to have to deal with is the idea that that there is some sort of back door that they can find if they hang out long enough with you or if they ask the right questions, you'll be forced to open that back door and give them more of what they want. And uh, again, it's not the right way that that athletes and their parents should be looking at this. I just know that it's already out there to some extent, and this does nothing but to, uh, but promote the idea that, that it's out there. And I think, again, it just calls into the idea of whether they can trust a coach or not. So, from a, a pure I guess in all this um we discussion about this story, here's the one bit of recruiting advice that I can give you. Find ways to accentuate trust and find ways to prove to that athlete and their parents that they can trust you. And take this story out of the conversation for a second. They're 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 coming in with the question of who they can trust anyway. Make sure that you're the one that proves they can trust you. And Again, you know, some simple ways to do that. Talk about the things that could be better at your school. That might be a, a locker room. That might be your field. That could be you know the 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 majors that you offer. Whatever it is, don't be afraid to talk about the negatives. Um, we we did a an article a couple of years ago that's on the the blog at dan.tutor.com and it was really all about about showing your cracks showing the the things that aren't perfect about your school and the, the power behind that because it does build such trust with your athletes find ways to do that coach the more vulnerable and open you seem and that you display it it creates a trust and and they'll open up and uh, and talk to you more about the things that they want to talk about and the things that they have questions about. And that's what this, that's what recruiting is all about is forming those communication lines where you can gain their trust, have a conversation and then, uh, and then guide them. My last comment to this before we wrap up today's podcast is this, make sure that you're the one that's doing it right. Uh, In today's world, I I told somebody that, that after this story broke, it was amazing to me that in this day and age, where everything is on social media, where everything is uh, is is just out in the open and is documented either by voice or on a text message or an email, it's amazing to me that that coaches thought this would never come to light, that that executives thought that it would never come to light. And you we, we talked to Dan Walken in the interview about that and, and he gave his comment, which I thought was was really good, that you know, there's the risk reward for this, that the risk is sometimes overshadowed by the reward and the money and what it can do for a coach's career to make the you know, if they can keep it quiet. Yet I keep coming back to the idea that do things the right way. Do things the professional way, the ethical way, so that you feel good about who you are and that there isn't something that goes and sullies your name and and denigrates you and your career. I mean, you think about the individuals involved, the individual coaches with such great resumes and, and that were respected and that were looked up to in their sport, and now it's ending with this. Um, firings, arrests, indictments, and and who knows where it's going to go, and who else it's going to involve. I know this that when the FBI gets involved with something, usually they like to to go as far as you can uh, because uh, it's a career making thing, and so I, I fear that it's going to go deeper. Be the coach that stays above all that, and 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 make sure that in recruiting. There are, if we if we boil this down to simply a recruiting uh, uh, strategy, there are things that you can do besides doing things that are wrong to be a great recruiter and to get great classes. And there are coaches out there doing it right that are successful, perennially successful, based on what they do, and and they're doing it right. So be one of those coaches. That's my, my plea for you. In listening to all this, the story and, and what you can take away from a coach, make sure this doesn't happen to you. If you're doing something wrong right now and you're listening to this podcast, correct it. Don't do it anymore. Simple as that. And if you're thinking about or being tempted by doing something like this, don't do it. And, and it may not even be money and shoe contracts and, and things like that. It, it could be something else that you know is wrong um, please don't do that because it's only going to hurt your career and there are plenty of stories I could probably do an entire podcast on just telling the stories uh behind the scenes of things that happened in coaches careers where they were either betrayed or they cheated, they got caught at something and it ruined their career that and it was never widely publicized. Um And I can just tell you, it happens. So coach, especially if you're a younger coach, develop the good habits now. Stick with it. Do not get trapped into the idea that you can do something that is, number one, above the rules and above the law and not get caught. Because in this day and age, chances are eventually you're going to get caught. And sadly, that's the story that we're seeing unfold now. And it breaks my heart. It makes me... Mad, it it saddens me uh, in on behalf of all of you that are involved in the great work of college athletics and coaching uh, the young athletes that you coach. We'll just have to see how it unfolds, and we'll be here to to try to relay any kind of recruiting principles or advice or direction based on where it goes. But again, I want to thank Dan Walken of the USA Today for contributing his time. I want to thank all of you for listening. And uh, we'll be back uh, with, with happier topics and, and more positive topics. Uh, but this is, again, something we just couldn't ignore because of the gravity of it. And, uh, and we'll all be living with the results for a long time. So learn the lessons. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.
1: fly to thee we sing with our glasses raised on high let's drink a toast as each of us recalls ivy-covered professors in ivy-covered halls turn on the spigot pour the beer and swig it and gaudi it a tour Here's two parties we tossed To the games that we lost We shall claim that we won them someday To the girls young and sweet To the spacious back seat Of our roommates beat up Chevrolet To the beer and Benzedrine To the way that the dean tried so hard To be pals with us all To excuses we fibbed To the papers we cribbed From the genius who lived down the hall too our tables down at Maury's, wherever that may be, let us drink a toast to all we love the best. We will sleep through all the lectures and cheat on the exams, and we'll pass and be forgotten with the rest. Oh, soon we'll be out amid the cold world's strife. Soon we'll be sliding down the razor blade of life. But as we go our sordid, separate ways, we shall ne'er forget thee, thou golden college days. Hearts full of youth, hearts full of truth, six parts gin to one part vermouth.